Well, good morning to all of you. Uh, probably seems like um, we've all, we're all we're done with Thanksgiving, so we can move on to other better things, right? Uh, well, maybe before we start into the message, I'd like to have a little children's class. So we've got a little space up here. If um, those of you who consider yourself um, to be um, a child uh, want to come forward, I don't know if anybody wants to, but. We've got three people, so that's a start. Uh, yeah, go ahead and have a seat right there. Let's, so does anybody know what this is? It does look like a piano book. In fact, if I opened it up, there's lots of notes in it. Uh, it looks interesting inside, doesn't it? What do you think this has to do with Thanksgiving? Does it have Thanksgiving songs? You know, I absolutely don't know what's even in this book. That's the crazy thing. I just picked it up off our piano. It is a piano book. It's got lots of notes in it. Um, and if you wanted to learn how to play the piano, this might be a good book to learn from. Uh, there might be better books. I don't know. Um, so... There's a verse that I was thinking about. It's 1 Thessalonians 5.18. It says, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And so I was thinking about things that I had to do when I was a boy that I did not like to do and that I was not thankful for. Can you guess what one of those things was? Yes, Grayson. Playing the piano. What was, how did you figure that out? Because I brought a piano book. It was a clue, wasn't it? You are like, you could be Sherlock Holmes. So I did not like playing the piano. And my mom, do you know who my mom is? Elaine. No. Elaine is actually my wife. Grayson. Grandma Waldron. She's sitting back there in the purple dress. So anyway, so she was my mom and she was kind of mean to me. She made me do all kinds of stuff I didn't want to do. And one of those things was she made me practice piano. So I um, took piano lessons from my grandmother. You all heard a story about my grandmother the other day, didn't you? But my grandmother was kind of mean, too. So I guess it runs in the family. Fortunately, it skipped me. Anyway, so my grandmother figured I was a lost cause. You know what lost cause is? So do you know what the word hopeless means? Yes. What does the word hopeless mean? You can't do anything. So my grandmother thought I was hopeless when it came to the piano. Yes, Elise. <laughs> so so she, um, she thought the only way for John to learn how to play the piano is I am going to take a bunch of marbles and put them in a cup. And then I'm going to put an empty cup on the other side of the piano. Every time John plays his piece one time, he can move a marble from one cup to the other. And I had to do this all the time. I don't know how many marbles there were. It seemed like there were 20 marbles, but maybe there weren't quite that many. And so I got very tired of this plan. And so I would sometimes pick up two marbles accidentally 
whenever I was praying through a song, and I'd move them to the other side. And the funny thing is that I did learn to play the piano a little bit. So that was a good thing, right? And I'm actually thankful for that. So there's sometimes that your parents ask you to do something today that you don't like doing, and yet at the same time, someday you'll be thankful for it. Can you think of anything that you don't like to do right now that maybe someday you'll be grateful for? Yes, Sophie. Taking a shower. That would definitely be a good thing. Someday um, someday your boyfriend will be grateful you learned how to do that. Yes, Grayson. Cleaning up your room. That's another good one. Yeah, at least you don't clean up your room very well, do you? But anyway, it'd be a good thing for you to learn. So, so sometimes we think that our parents want us to do things just because they're mean. Um, and, and maybe sometimes parents are mean. But a lot of times, the reason why they want us to do something is because they want us to learn a skill. You know, so why do you think your parents make you go to school? So you can learn. Yes, Grayson. You hate doing homework. Yes, well, you don't have homework, Elise. So later on in life, you will learn that sometimes God puts hard things in your path so that you can learn to be grateful in them, too. And you learn things that you will use down the road. So that's just a little Thanksgiving lesson for you all. You can go back to your parents. Okay, so we are going to be thinking about a grateful spirit this morning. Uh, and I like to think about the first Thanksgiving that the pilgrims celebrated in Massachusetts. So the first three years had been extremely hard on them. Um, particularly the women had suffered a lot as a result of just the difficulty of getting settled into the, um, to the new uh, Massachusetts colony. Um, there were only four women who remained of the original 102 pilgrims. Um, and um, there were 22 um, either married, I guess four of them were married, and, or widowers among them. And um, so William Bradford, um, um, to these 50 people, issued this decree. Inasmuch as the great father has given us this year an abundant harvest of Indian corn, wheat, peas, beans, squashes, and garden vegetables, and has made the forest to abound with game and the sea with fish and clams, and inasmuch as he has protected us from the ravages of the savages, has spared us from pestilence and disease, has granted us freedom to worship God according to dictates of our own conscience. Now I, your magistrate, do proclaim that all ye pilgrims, with your wives and your little ones, do gather at ye meeting house on ye hill between the hours of 9 and 12 in the daytime on Thursday, November 29th of the year of our Lord, 1,623, and the third year since ye pilgrims landed on ye pil pilgrim rock, there to listen to ye pastor and render thanksgiving to ye almighty God for all his blessings. So you think of a meal, and they, I think they did have a meal after a while, but it started off with a church service. So they went to church, and how long did they spend there? They spent three hours in church. That seems like a long time. They didn't have um, they didn't have air conditioning or central heat or any of those kinds of things, and their benches probably weren't um, weren't very comfortable. Certainly, it wasn't a time when people would have been uh, 
super thrilled. Over 50% of the people who had landed in Massachusetts Colony had already died. And so they were, their thoughts were pretty sad. And yet at the same time, they could raise Thanksgiving for the things that they did have. So 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18 says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And these verses present us with a challenge. And some of us do better with gratitude than others. You think gratitude is a talent? Some people are just born grateful, and other people just really struggle with it. Well, I mean, maybe there's a genetic tendency towards it, but I looked it up, and Google does not know anything about grateful genes. So it's not like if you say, you know, go to your doctor next week and say, can you run a genetic test to see if I've got a grateful spirit they'll be able to do anything. They say, you know, I have absolutely no clue what you're talking about. And yet Paul multiple times instructed the people he was writing to to be thankful, and even when he was in pretty desperate situations, he himself seems like he kept joy. So joy is one of the fruits of the Spirit, isn't it? A heart of gratitude always precedes a joy-filled spirit. So it is hard to be joyful when you are not grateful. Okay? I have never met somebody who was happy who could not think of something to be thankful for. The two are very closely related. Uh, and so we know that there's some people who aren't properly grateful, and often those people struggle with joy. So we're going to go to the story of the ten lepers. This is in Luke 17, um, verses 11 through 19. This is a good verse, um, um, story to think about when we think about thankfulness. So Luke chapter 17. Now it happened as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. Then as he entered a certain village, there met him ten men who were lepers who stood far off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So when he saw them, he said to them, Go, show yourselves to the priests. And so it was that as they went, they were cleansed, and one of them when he saw that he was healed, returned, and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving thanks, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. So Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Arise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And I, I think all of us know this story, don't we? Um, so at the beginning of the story, every single one of these ten men was in the same situation. They were people in need. Um, they were lepers. And leprosy in the Bible is analogous to sin. So it's not to say that lepers were more sinful than other people, but when we think about uncleanness, that is um, the picture and so when we read the Old Testament understanding of what lepers would have to do, um, this was something that was uh, linked to sinful, um, to sin. More than that, their disease was beyond their ability to cure. So they could not cure themselves. There wasn't some special potion or water that they could drink or anything like that 
that would get them beyond that. And for that matter, the doctors of their day couldn't fix them either. So the reason why they were out here was because they couldn't get help. And nobody wanted them around because people were afraid of catching it. If you caught leprosy from somebody who had leprosy, you were, you were cast out as well. Um, so, you know, maybe it's a little bit like the worst of the cancers where all you can do is call on hospice and you say, you know, just make me comfortable. I, I, my life is miserable and the quicker I die, the better. Um, but these people, every single one of them had a life that was changed because they met Jesus. Uh, we don't know how they met him. Maybe it was happenstance. Certainly God was in control. But we see that they recognized Jesus, even though they were standing far away. And they called out to him, please, please give us mercy. Whatever you can do for us, we want it. Um, and this speaks to some level of faith that each one of them had, doesn't it? Each one of them recognized that Jesus had something that, that maybe nobody else in their society could offer them. And so Jesus told them to go to the priest. Um, sometimes Jesus healed people instantaneously. Um, sometimes he didn't. In this case, it doesn't seem like they were healed instantaneously. But as they went, this, this act of faith to go towards the priest. We don't know exactly where they were. It says somewhere between Samaria and Galilee. They they were traveling, so, you know, there's a little journey to get to the priest. But as they were going, and it doesn't seem like it's terribly far, they realized, we are healed. This leprosy is gone. And here, the paths diverge. Ninety percent of the lepers continued on, praising God, thankful for what had happened to them. They are healed. They can return to life the same as before. And they are just so thrilled. And then one feels the need to go back and tell Jesus, thank you. Thank you, Jesus. And the punchline of this story is that the one who returned was a Samaritan. Uh, you know, we don't understand this, but the relationship between the Jews and the Samaritans was rocky at best. You know, maybe we could say this was an illegal alien that came back and thanked Jesus, but it was somebody who was not accepted um, by um, everyone else in society. And the end of the story is that the Samaritan seems to have received a deeper level of healing um, than the others received. Um, and we don't understand that fully, um, but Jesus commended him for that. And he asked the question, didn't he? Weren't there ten healed? Why is there only one who said thank you? So gratitude in everything. Um, some of you have probably read the story, um, Pollyanna. It's uh, by Eleanor Porter. Um, and the main character, Pollyanna, tells her aunt, who she comes to stay with, about the glad game. And apparently her parents uh, were some kind of missionary, and they received a package that she hoped would contain a doll, and instead it had crutches in it. Um, and her father got her to look on the bright side, and the, the brightest thing that she could think about these crutches was the fact that she didn't need them. And through most of the story, whatever happens to her, she's able to look on the bright side. Um, but at the end of the story, I'm going to give it away, so if you are planning to read this and you're worried about spoiling a hundred-year-old story, uh, you can cover your ears now. 
But she's hit by a car and she's unable to walk. And suddenly she needs crutches to get around and she is unable to find happiness in this. The glad game lets her down. And so she finally goes to a special hospital and learns to walk again. So the end of the story is happy. Um, but, um, you know, Pollyanna was able to be thankful when she received crutches that she didn't need. But when she actually needed crutches, it was too much for her to be able to be thankful for. I wonder if we're a little bit that way, too. You know, as long as the situation isn't too dire, we're able to be thankful and joyful. But, you know, when things get pretty dark, um, it's hard. Philippians 4, 10 through 13. This is Paul writing to the Philippians. And he was in jail when he wrote this. He says, But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Now that I speak in regard to need, not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound everywhere. In all things, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me, who strengthens me. So Paul was writing here from prison. Um, and a lot of people take verse 13 out of context. They act like um, Paul is saying that you can um, lift small automobiles um, if you just have enough faith, or you know maybe you can um, jump off of small buildings. Um, I can jump off of small buildings as long as they're not too tall. But uh, but that's not what this verse is talking about, is it? Paul is saying that his superpower is contentment, the ability to be grateful in every situation, even when he did not have enough. Joy, contentment, and gratitude walk hand in hand. They aren't the same thing, not at all. But it is really hard to achieve any one of those things without the other ones present. Joyful people are grateful for what they have, and they are not constantly pursuing other stuff. So, there are things that we think we can't be happy for. Um, and, you know, when you, take, uh, when you take college courses, they have entry-level courses, and then there's higher-level courses, and you just, you know, as you go along, it gets harder and harder. And you don't start off with the hardest ones. You don't have to start off with the most difficult situation. You just like, oh, you know, we're going, to, uh, we're going to destroy your car and burn down your house, and you have to figure out a way to be thankful in this. Well, start with the small stuff. That's probably a good way to, um, to start. Corey Tenboom wrote about some such situation um, in her book, The Hiding Place. And she was talking about um, her sister, Betsy, who is just a, she's just a, a glowing light in that really dark situation. And you can just tell the love that Corey had for her sister and how she wanted to have a faith like her sister had. So Corey wrote this, Barracks 8 was in the quarantine compound. Next to us, perhaps as a deliberate warning to newcomers, were located the punishment barracks. From there, all day long and often into the night came the sounds of hell itself. They were not the sounds of anger or of any human emotion, but of a cruelty altogether detached. Blows landing in regular rhythm, screams keeping pace. 
We would stand in our ten deep ranks with our hands trembling at our side, longing to jam them into our ears to make the sound stop. It grew harder and harder. Even within those four walls, there was too much misery, too much seeming pointless suffering. Every day, something else failed to make sense. Something else grew too heavy. Yet in the midst of the suffering, the women prisoners around Corey and Betsy found comfort in the little Bible studies they held in the barracks. Corey wrote that they were gathered around the Bible like waves clustered around a blazing fire. The blacker the night around us grew, the brighter and truer the more beautiful burned the word of God. When they were moved to barracks 28, Corey was horrified by the fact that their reeking straw bed platform swarmed with fleas. How could they live in such a place? It was Batsy who discovered God's answer. Rejoice always, pray constantly, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. That's it, Corey. That's his answer. Give thanks in all circumstances. That's what we can do. We can start right now to thank God for every single thing about this new barracks. I stared at her, then around at me at this dark, foul-aired room. They thanked God for the fact that they were together. They thanked God that they had a Bible. They even thanked God for the horrible crowds of prisoners, that more people would be able to hear God's word. And then Betsy thanked God for the fleas. The fleas! This was too much. Betsy, there's no way even God can make me grateful for the fleas. Give thanks in all things, she quoted. It doesn't say in pleasant circumstances. Please, fleas are part of this place where God has put us. And so we stood there between the tiers of bunks and gave thanks for fleas. But this time I was sure Betsy was wrong. It turned out that Betsy was not wrong. The fleas were a nuisance, but they were a blessing after all. The women were able to have Bible studies in the barracks with a great deal of freedom, never bothered by super supervisors coming in to harass them. They finally found out that it was these fleas that kept the supervisors out. Many times we don't find out what the reason behind the things that we're going through are. We don't, we don't know them. God doesn't reveal that to him. The only thing that we know is that God has a plan. God told Paul that the reason why he had a thorn in the flesh was so that Paul wouldn't get too proud. And that because of this, Paul would learn to trust God better. God's strength was made perfect in Paul's weakness. Um, that's in 2 Corinthians 12, 8 through 10. Um, and in the same way, God allows things to happen to us so that we trust him better. And the one thing that we can know for certain is that God knows what he's doing. It's like a personal trainer, somebody who gets you into the gym and makes you do exercises that you don't want to do and push you harder than you want to be pushed and make you eat foods that you didn't think that you liked because in the long run, you're going to be stronger and healthier and all those kinds of things. So what are the obstacles to gratitude? Let's go to Colossians 3. We're going to read verses 15 through 17. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you are called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, 
to all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So in this passage, Paul says twice that we should be thankful. First, he talks about it in association with the peace of God ruling in our hearts. And second, as a reason that we are to live in such a way as to please Jesus. I think there are many obstacles to us experiencing a life of gratitude. Um, And let's just say up front that the reason why we aren't grateful is not because we don't have enough. Okay? Um, Or put another way, we have lots and lots of stuff compared to most of the people in this world, and yet we still struggle with gratitude. So if you have um, a vehicle that drives, you are better off than most of the people in this world. If you have enough to eat, you have more than most of the people in this world. If you have dessert at lunchtime today, you have more than most of the people in this world. And yet, we are not commanded to be thankful only when we have extra blessings. And I think that's sometimes our our disconnect, isn't it? So, maybe the first thing that we could think about is that we just simply take things for granted. Things that are expectations no longer function in our lives as blessings. They are just there. They're furniture. If you expect your wife or your mom to have a well-cooked meal on the table in the evenings, you will be bothered when it isn't there, but you will not be grateful when it is. And that's the problem. Psalm 103, verses 1 through 4 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies. The psalmist tells us not to forget the benefits that we have from serving a great God. God forgives He heals, he redeems, he crowns us with tender mercy. And it doesn't even talk about stuff. We can be thankful even if we had nothing. Second thing, so we take things for granted. Second thing is we just don't understand the greater purpose. So I mentioned the the personal trainer idea, but the goal for our lives is not to accumulate stuff. The important thing is that we are drawing closer and closer to Jesus. And sometimes bad things make us rely on him so much more. We are able to be thankful when we realize that God is working for our growth and our benefit. Sometimes the issue is that we are so caught up in the blessing that we forget to thank the giver. Um, So I I don't think the issue with the lepers was that they weren't happy. I think they were over the hill with joy about their healing. But they didn't think about the source of that healing. James 1.17 says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. And sometimes we open a gift, 
And we are so thrilled with what the gift is. We are so excited. We've wanted this thing for so long that we forget who it was who gave it to us. Another obstacle is that we just simply teach ourselves to focus on the negative. Um, and I think we can exercise gratitude muscles, make those stronger. We can also focus on negative things. And, you know, we talk about people who walk around um, viewing the world through rose-colored glasses. Um, how many of you have rose-colored glasses? Nobody does. Well, so, um, so the idea, of course, is that you just somehow, like, see the world unrealistically. So what do pessimists tell themselves? They tell themselves, I'm seeing the world the way it is. It's a bad world out there. And I've got to look at it realistically so I'm not disappointed. If I have too high expectations for people, they'll let me down. If I expect good things to happen tomorrow, well, I'll just be disappointed. So it's better that I look at things negatively so that I never let down. Uh, but that's kind of a sad way to live this, work, this life, isn't it? Um, optimism and pessimism have far more to do with what we believe about the future. Um, and we let the future rob our ability to enjoy the present. And that's a problem, too. So learn to focus on the positive. Um, I was listening to a, a book, and it was talking about um, somebody, somebody had written a book. This was a quote from a book from the 1830s where um, the, the person was talking about whether things were getting darker and darker. And the, they said, you know, the people are pessimistic that this world can continue. This was in the 1830s because of how terrible things are getting. But they, they said, you know, it's actually carried on for a while. They thought maybe it, it could go a little while yet, and maybe things would even get better. And it, strangely enough, it did. So, you know, people who predict... Um, um, devastation are, are occasionally right, but they're often wrong, and uh, their lives aren't better for looking on the negative. So we give place to unhealthy attitudes. So when we think about unhealthy attitudes, there are certain things that are associated with us struggling with gratitude. Um, and let's break those things down. So there are, there are four specific attitudes that we can put into our lives that are going to make us have trouble being thankful. So the first one is materialism. So materialistic people are focused on things, on the accumulation of things, and they are seldom satisfied when they get to a certain point. So they are not happy even when they accumulate the next big thing. They're just looking forward. So Paul said, godliness with contentment is great gain. And that's important. Materialistic people need to learn contentment. Envy is another one. So envious people are focused on the things that other people have that they don't have. So once again, they are not content. Um, and this is a little different from materialism in that the issue has to do with what they think that other people have. Once again, it's hard to be grateful if you think that all the people around you have more than you do. Narcissism is another one, and people throw narcissism around, but narcissism is a self-focus. And narcissistic people believe that the people in their lives live to serve them. 
And when they're given things, they simply believe that that is what is expected. So they don't ever feel particularly thankful when people give them a whole bunch of stuff because, you know, that's what people should do, right? Uh, the king expects everybody to bow down before him and is not grateful if somebody um, does, but he's pretty upset if somebody doesn't. And then cynicism. So cynical people look on the negative side of everything. Um, so I remember talking to an older lady. I've shared this, uh, this story in church before, but um, and she um, she came into my office. This was in Indiana, and she said to me, "You know, Dr. Waldron, something nice almost happened to me last week." And I said, "Well, well that's really nice. I, I tell me about it." And she said, "Well, she was down at the at the local pharmacy, and her son put her name in." Um, in this drawing for uh, a new scooter, this new scooter, and she won it. And she thought to herself, wow, this is wonderful. Now I've got a new scooter. So this is not like a scooter like you children would like ride around. This was an electric scooter that she could, uh, like like a little bit like a, uh, like what Wesley would have had. So, so anyway, so then she discovered that it wouldn't fit easily in the hallway of her house, and she just was so depressed because, you know, she could only use it in her kitchen and in her living room. And it, it just was kind of sad to her, you know. Something nice almost happened to her. And so the question I ask you this morning is, are you looking at the clouds or the silver linings? Uh, and maybe a last obstacle is just simply that we'd surround ourselves with grumps. I, I didn't read the song. Uh, you, you all know this song, In Country, Town, or City, Some People Can Be Found. You spend our lives on grumbling and everything around. So you, you can look up the words. It's a, it's a fairly interesting song. Uh, not very deep, but it does talk about the fact that grumps are, are not great to be around. And if you look at the children of Israel coming out of Egypt, it seems like they had a grumpy syndrome. Everybody struggled with grumpiness. And, um, and it was pretty hard for Moses to deal with as a result. So those are some obstacles. So what does it mean to practice gratitude? So I want to just think about some practical things that we can do in the next week or two that will show that we are grateful so, wherever you're at this morning, you can be better, right? So, so, first of all, just express your gratitude. So, we have a saying in medicine that if you don't chart something, it didn't really happen. So, that's not to say it didn't happen, okay? So, this is not like a tree falls in the woods and nobody's there to hear it to really make a sound. But this is, this is just to say that if I, if I see a patient next week, um, and I don't note down that that patient had a heart murmur, then the next time I see the patient, I may not remember if the patient had a heart murmur the last time. And then I'll think to myself, well, did that, I forget, uh, well. And then maybe I'll send them off to get an ultrasound on their heart because I think, well, you know, this is a new heart murmur. They didn't have it last time, but it's just really that I just was busy and I didn't write it, write it down. If Lorena gives a patient a dose of a medicine and she doesn't write it down, uh, the next nurse won't know that she gave it and they could give a dose too soon or something like that. Psalm 109 verse 30 says, I will greatly praise the Lord with my mouth. Yes, I will praise him among the multitude. And I've 
focus on the fact it says mouth. So it is not enough just to think grateful thoughts. Say it out loud. So you can say it as, uh, as part of your prayer to God, but you can also say it to the people around you. How often do you thank your spouse for who they are, for the things they do for you, for just being there for you in hard times and good times and all those kind of things. So express your gratitude. Second one is maybe a subset of this, um, but it is write thank you notes. Um, so this is a way generalization, but I think women are better at writing thank you notes than, than guys are. Um, I'm not sure why that is. Probably they just have the thank you notes in the wrong section of the store. If they put them in the sporting section, you know, with the guns and stuff, maybe men would buy more of them. Um, Philippians 1, 3 through 6 says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you all with joy, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. So it's interesting, isn't it, that not only did Paul pray thanking God for the Philippians, he told them he was praying and thanking God for them. And I think that's, a, that's a, a neat thing, isn't it? To say, you know, I am really grateful for you, and I thank God for you when I pray. And I think the challenge with all these things is not to sound insincere. I worked with some people who would tell you how much they appreciate you, and yet you just didn't really believe it. Um, so make an effort to be thankful for and to your children. So you're probably always thankful for your children, um, but somehow, you know, at least me personally, I have occasionally been aggravated by the younger people in my life. And my focus is often on the things that my children aren't doing right. And yet, if I'm honest, they have grown and matured so much over the last few years. I can do better at saying, I see that in you. You are following a good path. And I love what God is doing in your life. And if my whole tendency is to focus on the things that I'm critical of, it's going to be a problem. I can thank them for times when they showed initiative, when they did more than what was required of them, or when they dis demonstrated a good attitude in a difficult situation. So thank God for your children. Try for balance. Um, have you all heard of the compliment sandwich? Some of you have. So, so the idea is that if you're, if you're going to say something negative to somebody, you try to say something positive. And then you say the negative thing. And then you just try to say something else positive. It's a problem if you can't think of anything positive. Some people are really bad at this. They, even their compliments sound like criticisms. Um, so, but I'm not talking about telling anybody else anything. But I would say if we can try to make sure that our negatives that we think about are balanced by a couple of positive thoughts, it is going to help us so much. Tell stories. So some families tell stories and some don't. Um, Joshua 4, 5 through 9 um, talks about 
just one such story. And Joshua said to them, Cross over before the ark of the Lord your God in the midst of Jordan. And each one of you take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel. That this may be a sign among you when your children ask in time to come, saying, What do these stones mean to you? Then you shall answer them that the waters of Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord when it crossed over Jordan. The waters of Jordan were cut off, and these stones shall be a memorial to the children of Israel forever. And the children of Israel did so just as Joshua commanded and took up twelve stones from the midst of the Jordan as the Lord had spoken to Joshua according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel and carried them over with them to the place where they lodged and laid them down there. Then Joshua set up twelve stones in the midst of the Jordan in the place where the feet of the priest who bore the Ark of the Covenant stood. And they are there to this day. So how often do you tell stories to your children, to other people, about times when God worked mighty things in your life? When we tell other people stories of God's work in our lives, of God's work in our church, of God's work in the people that we know, it encourages us and it encourages them too. And we reinforce those things. We remember the things that we tell stories about and we forget the things that we don't tell stories about. Stories are important. I tell a lot of stories when I'm, when I'm preaching because I think that they help people remember stuff. And yet a lot of people live each day and forget the stories. What has God done for you? And how can you share that to other people around you? That will encourage them. That will make you grateful. So let's conclude here thinking a little bit about why the Bible has given so many commands to be joyful. Why does God love a cheerful giver? It seems like God should be just grateful if we give him stuff, right? And sometimes I feel like my children do all the things I want to, but I, I can almost hear them grumbling under their breath because they just don't like what I ask them to do or they're just not excited by it or there's something else they would rather be doing. And I can imagine God watching us that same way. He's asked us to do things. He's given us so much. And he doesn't want to listen to us grumble as we do the stuff we're supposed to. The thing is that if we look at balance and realize the depths of God's gifts to us, we're going to have to be grateful. We're going to have to be joyful. And we have to be content. Helen Keller was just 19 months old when she experienced some kind of infection. Doctors didn't know she would live. Um, she was really, really sick. She probably had some kind of meningitis. Um, and although she'd survived, it severely damaged both her hearing and her seeing, so that she was completely deaf and blind. And she described her life as living in a fog. Eventually, she had a teacher named Ann Sullivan who came and worked with her and taught her to sign. And Helen was bright, and she learned amazingly quickly. And while she learned to communicate, she never regained her ability to hear or see. In 1933, she wrote an article for the Atlantic magazine called Three Days to See. 
And she began that article talking about stories in which the hero only has a few days or months to live, and how even if he is saved in the end, his life has changed, and he gains an appreciation for living that he never had before. She said, most of us take our lives for granted, but more than that, we take our senses for granted. She said, only deaf people really appreciate hearing. Only blind people really appreciate seeing. She said she had a friend who went out and went for a walk in the woods. And when she got back, Helen asked her, what did you see? And the lady said, nothing in particular. And Helen said she would have been shocked by this response if she wasn't used to it. How could anybody walk for an hour in the woods and see nothing of note. Even Helen, without the ability to see, even Helen, without the ability to hear, would walk up to a, a leaf and touch it and feel the symmetry and the magic that was baked into that by a creator. Going out in the spring and feeling the buds beginning to open. And she described all the things that she would love to see if she was just given three days to see the faces of people that she loved who she had never been able to see, things around her that she would love to be able to just capture just for a little bit of time. And she finished the article telling all the people who could see, to really see, to use our sight as though we would someday lose it and to value it for the gift it really is. Colossians 4, 2 through 4 says, Continue earnestly in prayer being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I also am in chains, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Paul wanted these Colossian Christians to pray for him, but with thanksgiving, even though he was in chains. I wonder if we could say that gratefulness is the vaccine against things like bitterness and anger. More than anything else, we realize that gratitude is not something we can just keep in our hearts, but is something that we have to express that comes out in our everyday lives. The point of gratitude is to express the depth of our gratitude to someone else. It could be to God, it could be to the person that we realize has given us something of value. And how many of us have received something of value just in the last week? 